Man, thank you guys. It is so, uh, it's so good to worship. I tell you, in many, many days, in every part of my being, I just want to continue to worship as we gather here today. You know, it, it, twenty some minutes, thirty minutes of singing just isn't enough. Any given day, any given Sunday. All of that said, I want you to recognize what we do in these coming moments is a continuation of worship as we read the word, as we study the word, as we think about how Jesus would change our souls. So before we jump into uh, uh, into our Bible study this morning, uh, I want to give you guys uh, one more announcement. Some of you know this, and then probably many of you don't. Uh, nothing to worry about. Um, but I just want to make sure everybody's in the loop. And I'll begin it by saying, I trust you guys. Which is like the worst setup ever. Because if I'm saying, I trust you guys, you're like, wait, what, 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 what's going on? What's going on? So I want you to hear it from my lips. Second worst thing I could say. And I'm not going anywhere in the sense of leaving harvest. That's not what's going on. I don't want you to think that. However... Uh, I do want to let you guys in on something. Uh, Marcy and I, uh, this year is our 30th anniversary. Neither of us really like making Sunday about us, but there's no way for me to talk about what I'm about to talk about without sort of saying that. And so this year is our 30th anniversary, and for quite a long time, uh, her and I have talked about uh, doing something special, something bigger than we've ever done to celebrate our 30th anniversary. And so her and I are taking an extended trip uh, out of the country uh, beginning this week. And so uh, we're celebrating, as I said. Um, you know, I mean, it, 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 where we're going doesn't exactly matter, but various places in Europe, we'll, we'll say it that way. Um, it's part vacation. It's part remote work. Uh, her and I both are in a place where some of the time while we're there will be vacation time, and some of the time while we're there will be working remotely, meaning I'll do work, she'll do work, we're just not working from here um, kind of thing. Uh, it's about six weeks, just trying transparency, clarity, that kind of thing. It leads to a lot of great questions like, well, then who... Who is preaching? And I'll tell you, I am for part of it. Um, I am for part of it. And so I'll be on video some of the weeks uh, preaching. Um, we've already filmed some of that, and uh, it's, it's set and ready to go. Uh, good friends are also preaching some of the weeks. Uh, I had a great friend, Rob Walker, preach for us in December. Rob will be back. Rob is one of our partners at the Northwest Baptist Convention. Uh, he always does a great job. Uh, Rob will share with us one of those weeks. Warren Davey, uh, who works with Northwest Collegiate Ministries, a member of Harvest Community Church. Warren is going to preach some of the weeks for us. Uh, I think it's so important that we all lean in during this time. I mean, let's just recognize a couple of things. One... Worship is about Jesus. Can we all sort of agree with that? Yes. All right, so worship is not about Brian. And as tough as this is to sort of handle, worship's not about you. <laughs> right? And there is this sense in which we go, yeah, but, you know, I like this style, or I like this, or I like that. But at the end of the day, worship is about Jesus Christ. And it happens in a community-based environment. And that community can't happen without you. And so I really want to challenge you over these next weeks to lean in. Uh, to serve, to invite, to love. We'll have guests in these weeks. Welcome them. You know, let them know, hey, our, our pastor's away celebrating his 30th anniversary, but he'll be back soon. We've got, we've got uh, someone great who's going to bring the word to us, and we're going to worship Jesus, and that's the most important thing. Now, here's what I don't want you to do when people walk in the door and they're a guest, and some of you are guests today. I don't <sighs> just got a real bummer for you today. You know, like our main guy, right, he, he, got, called, uh, he got called out. And we've got some guy from AAA who's come up to fill in, right? Like, that, that just doesn't come across right, right? That doesn't communicate that what we do here is about Jesus. 
And so I certainly just, I trust you guys. I wanted you to hear it from my lips. I don't want there to be any concern that, oh, Brian's off leaving the church or Brian's interviewing somewhere else. There's, there's none of that kind of business going on. It's just, this is Marcy and I's 30th anniversary. A 30th anniversary only comes around once in a lifetime. And we want to take time to uh, celebrate that. It, it goes without saying, most likely, um, that this also should be beneficial to the headaches that I shared with you a couple of months ago about. You know, most of you know that I have lived with an ongoing headache uh, for the last almost two years. I mean, we're like a year and eight months, something like that now. And so uh, my doctors have also said that this should be beneficial to me in some ways to uh, decompress, to release stress, to not have the, um, you know, adrenaline, cortisol, the things that go on, uh, this is intense, what we do here on Sundays, um, and and I'll be straight up honest in saying my Mondays usually are somewhat tough days because of the drain of Sundays, and so taking six weeks off from that um, should be beneficial to what's going on with my headaches, and we'll tell the doctors something as well, and so they have recommended uh, that not that it took much consideration for them to say, hey, you should take some time and, you know, travel with your wife. And it's like, well, duh, I don't need you to talk me into that, right? Um, what I do want you to know is that I would greatly value your prayers over these next six weeks. Not just prayers for my headaches, but prayers for God's direction. Uh, every year, uh, whether you know this or not, there's time in the summer usually where I pull back from the day-to-day and I rest, and I look at the big picture of what God is doing in our church, and I try to discern from God, what do you want to do in this coming year? And as we went into this last year, there were some great things we were discerning, things about expanding our ministry to college students, and we've seen that happen, things about expanding uh, our reach into uh, a diverse uh, group of people across Eugene and Springfield, and, and we've seen God do that. There's been a variety of things that God has done this year that 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 he he impresses in my direction and we begin to try to figure out how to make that a reality and so please be praying for me during this time but also i would greatly 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 encourage you just to lean in be people who be here who will be here be people who will love people when they walk through those doors be people who worship jesus passionately and deeply just like you did this morning because at the end of the day nothing we do here is about Brian King. And I think you know that, right? One last thing I'd like to say in that regard. It's important that in the coming years that Harvest be a place that raises up the next generation of leaders, not just for Harvest, but for our entire region. You know, there are churches all over the Pacific Northwest that are struggling to find a pastor, partly because for long seasons... Pastors have not been called out and raised up, and there are more pastors retiring than there are. I mean, it's the same, the shortage thing, right? The, the employment shortage is happening everywhere, right? But it spills over into the Christian community as well. And so we want to be a training center, right, for raising up future leaders. When I was a young pastor, I benefited from other pastors who poured into me, who gave me opportunities to preach, where there was an opportunity for me to take a gift I had been given and use it. And I'll be honest, I, I, like a couple of years ago, I found, you guys remember cassette tapes? As old as that makes me sound, right? I mean, those, those even like older than AOL, you know? And, which I got one of those too. But I found a cassette tape of one of my early sermons, and I, I and and the car I had at the time still had a cassette player in it, which tells you something about the car as well, right? And I popped that puppy in. I thought, how did I sound back then, right? And I sounded very Oklahoman, and those people were very patient with me as I was learning how to communicate the truth of the gospel, and. And that's not to say that when we have future, uh, you know, young folks who are working on developing their gift, that, that it's, that's not to say it's bad. That is to say that we're all given different gifts and different ways of serving the Lord. And what we want is to create an environment as a church where we raise up more of the young 
not less. Does that, does that make sense? This isn't just about preaching. This is about everything we do, whether it's pouring into young kids, pouring into teenagers, uh, leading uh, life groups, uh, seeing life change happen at a variety of spiritual levels, issues of discipleship, issues of that in all of that, we want to raise up the next generation. That means we've got to be a safe place for all of those future generations. And so lean in. You with me on that? All right, that's way long, and I apologize uh, for... Thank you. Thank you. We're a few weeks away from that, but thank you. Thank you. Um, I will miss you guys. I mean that genuinely. Uh, Marcy and I very much are looking forward to this trip. We also look forward to, to returning. It is so good to serve a church that is healthy and loves our family. Uh, thank you uh, for being that kind of place. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. There's a variety of scriptures I'm going to read today. Uh, but um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is the main verse that I want to hone in on uh, this morning. We're in a series called Asking for a Friend. We're asking uh, questions that might be difficult or even at times embarrassing. Questions that often don't get talked about in church. Today's question is a hard one. It goes about like this, that life is painful. Most of us would acknowledge that. That there are a lot of people in American life who would say, life is painful, I'm considering giving up on life, I'm considering suicide, what would Jesus think about that? What would Jesus say about that? And so I want to dive right in. And when we ask this question, the reality is we're asking a lot of questions back to back. We're asking questions like, is suicide a sin? Or is suicide unforgivable? Or does suicide mean a person is not a Christian? Or what is it exactly that God would think about the person who commits suicide? Even, even I've had people ask me, can a person who commits suicide go to heaven? And those are all things I want to address fairly directly today. But right out of the gate, and especially if you're online, but certainly if you're in the room, I'd like to acknowledge for you that in our sermon notes, which are linked online as well, that right at the top of the page are the numbers for the National Crisis Line and the local crisis line put on by Whitebird Clinic. And so if you find yourself in a place where today or any other day, and you need someone to talk to, both of these are very good to reach out to. The national line is now 988. It is just like 911, except it's 988. You can text that line or call that line, and someone will be there 24-7. If there's anything I say that puts you in a place where you need to talk to someone today, actually, I'm going to give you that opportunity today. I'll be available afterwards. Some others will be available afterwards. But it's important that you know that if this is something that you're wrestling with, that there is always someone there who is available who would like to listen. Um, I just wanted to mention that uh, right out of the gate. Why did I think that this was something that was important that we talk about today? I'll give you a couple of reasons. One, Americans are in a mental health crisis that has more causes than we seem to be able to keep up with. And quite honestly, this mental health crisis was building before the pandemic ever started. I was looking at stats early this morning that were prior to 2020. And there were plenty of stats that indicated that there are millions of Americans who struggle with depression, who struggle with thoughts of of, uh, not being able to handle this life, who struggle with addiction, who struggle with a variety of things. It's important that the church not ignore something so important. Even more so, the recent release of information from the CDC on teenage boys and teenage girls was greatly, greatly concerning to me. According to recent CDC data, a nearly three in five U.S. teenage girls feel persistently sad or hopeless. Three in five. If you're doing math with me, that's, that's, that's well above majority. It's not that the numbers are all that great for teenage boys. It's one in three, nearly one in three. 
In fact, when you research at an even deeper level, you find other things in place. Uh, in, in, in a category sort of by the CDC deemed to be seriously considered attempting suicide, the stats would be one in six boys and one in three teenage girls. If you're in a place today where you would sit here and honestly say, mental health is not something I struggle with, or you would honestly say that suicide is not something I struggle with, I guarantee you, you know somebody who does. But it's hidden. Part of the reason it's hidden is because both societally and even religiously speaking, there are things we just don't talk about. There are things that we're uh, somewhat in the place of humanly speaking, keeping to ourselves. So what exactly would Jesus think of suicide in the face of sadness, in the face of a life that feels overwhelming, in the face of a life that faces a whole lot of pain? And right out of the gate, in fact, this is right right at the top of your notes, uh, the blank that isn't a blank, Suicide is always a tragedy. It is always a tragedy. If you're considering suicide, I want to tell you what I don't, what I won't do. I won't tell you that your pain isn't real. Because your pain is real. I won't tell you that I can fix everything. Because I can't fix everything. And I won't tell you that faith in God makes pain and depression go away. Because that would be a lie. Being a Christian does not make you immune to pain or immune to despair or immune to depression any more than it makes you immune to disease or something like asthma that I have or immune to physical death itself. What I will do is gently remind you that you matter. Gently remind you that you are loved and care about. Gently remind you that no matter how strong something inside of you is screaming, that nobody cares and nobody loves you. There is someone who cares. And there is someone who loves you. When I was researching... Uh, the topic, I came across a lot of church websites that basically said something like this. If you're considering suicide, what you need is Jesus Christ and a relationship with Him. And the preacher in me would say, of course. But the human in me would say, that answer is not sufficient. That answer is not enough. In no means would I ever say Jesus Christ is not enough. Please don't misunderstand me. What I would say is that we need more than an implication that if you're suicidal, you don't know Jesus. Because I know plenty of Christians who wrestle with mental health. And you do too, whether it's openly talked about or not. It's not enough to say... Just accept Jesus and your problems will all go away. As I said just moments ago, that would be a lie. I can't find a page in the Bible that says, become a Christian and all your problems go away. In fact, I can find a lot of pages in the Bible that say, become a Christian and some things get harder. So let's talk about mental and emotional health for just a moment. Find me the verses in the Bible that say suppress your emotions in the name of spirituality. Find me those verses because I can't find them. 
What I can find are a wealth of verses from the book of Psalms to the book of Lamentations to pages all across the scripture that, 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 that demonstrate that emotions are real. In fact, I would suggest that mental health and emotional health is as much a part of soul care as is opportunities like prayer and reading your Bible. That God cares your soul, if you really want to understand it biblically, if you think, oh, you know, like, like people say, yeah, I, I think I have a soul. And Christians would say, yes, we have a soul. I would say it a little differently. I would say you are a soul. You have a body. You are a soul. Your soul is the totality of your entire being Physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. The peace of you that can have a relationship with God. But God cares about all of you. And so soul care is health care at a mental level. Health care at an emotional level. And it matters to Jesus where you are. But even if today you would say to me, Brian, I'm not a religious person. If you were to say to me something super strong, like, Brian, I don't believe there's a God. Okay. We still should talk about the importance of your mental health and your emotional health and your life. And I want to start, because, because, because many of us are Christians, with a little more information. And as we go along today, I want to move to something that engages the heart a little more. It's more transformation. Can we do that? So common questions that people often ask, particularly in the Christian sense. Questions that people wonder about. One, <laughs> these are just right here in your notes. Were there people in the Bible who committed suicide? The answer is yes. In fact, the Bible would record somewhere in the six to seven suicides, if you will. The most famous of those suicides would be Judas Iscariot after he betrayed Jesus. But also well known uh, would be Saul, the king of Israel, who struggled with his own mental health in a variety of ways. His armor bearer, because there was a moment where Saul asked his armor bearer to take his life. And it happened in the context of Saul didn't want to be caught by enemy troops. So he said to his armor bearer, take my life so that this worst thing doesn't happen. So that I don't suffer worse in some way. And Saul said that to his armor bearer. And his armor bearer said, I can't do that. I refuse. And Saul fell on his sword and took his own life. And then his armor bearer did the exact same thing. There are a variety of stories like this across Scripture. Some of them kings. Which just sort of begs the question in a variety of ways. Um, does having it all mean that you don't wrestle with these kinds of struggles? Not at all. Not at all. In fact, I would suggest for you that when you read through the stories of suicide that take place in Scripture... Far more than not, what you find is a person who wants to escape some consequence that they don't think they personally want to face. And I do believe that that ends up, for a lot of us, being one of the, one of the motivations, if you will, for considering suicide. My second question, were there people in the Bible who committed suicide? Yes, there were. Were there people in the Bible who wanted to die but did not commit suicide? I listed three of them for you there. There are a few others who expressed such a thing. But Job, who, who experienced a very, very difficult life, frankly, not of his own doing, who never got an explanation from God on why these things happened to him. 
Job himself said it this way, When I think my bed will comfort me and my couch will ease my complaint, even though you, the you here is God, even though you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I prefer strangling and death rather than this body of mine, I despise my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone. My days have no meaning. That verse pretty well represents, I think, where a soul can end up in this world when overwhelmed with pain, when overwhelmed with sorrow. Today, we would say that Job was probably struggling with depression, along with various other mental health struggles. But he's certainly not the only one in the Bible to go through this. Elijah, God's greatest of prophets, after... After a great spiritual victory, while running for his life from Jezebel and those who who worked on her behalf, Elijah, exhausted, empty stomach, lack of sleep, fearful for his life, said to God, this is 1 Kings 19, take my life, I've had enough Lord, I am no better than my ancestors. And interestingly enough, the angel that he was talking to there made sure he slept and he got something to eat. Here's what the angel did not do. Elijah, we should talk about your theology. Elijah, we should talk about Jesus. Sometimes... One of the best things we can ask is, when was the last time you slept? And then there's the case of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4. Jonah said to the Lord, something the Lord did really made Jonah angry. We don't have time to get into that. But you've been angry at God before, haven't you? Jonah says to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I was trying to avoid. I knew that you're gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Which I think begs these questions for us. Is there some pain, either now that I'm wrestling with, or future pain, usually in the form of consequence, that I'm trying to escape? Is there depression that is talking in my life? Am I exhausted or overwhelmed with fear? Is there something I am angry about? Two more questions I want to answer, and then I want to come back to these things. Is suicide a sin? Can I tell you something 100% honestly? There is nowhere in this book that says suicide is a sin. Those words are not here. Let me tell you what is in the book. Murder. Sin. So theologians for thousands of years have concluded Uh, often starting with St. Augustine, that suicide is self-murder. And in that sense, suicide is sin. Let me ask you the question I think we're really asking, and it's the last one I listed here. Is suicide forgivable or unforgivable? Is suicide something that needs forgiving? Here's what I can tell you with abundant clarity. There is a place in the New Testament. It is in Matthew chapter 12 that talks about the unpardonable sin or the unforgivable sin. The sin that is spoken of there, no matter how you interpret it, is not suicide. So that, in essence, guarantees that no matter how God sees suicide, which I would suggest is always a tragedy, There is nothing in Scripture to suggest that suicide cannot be forgiven if indeed it needs it. 
So again, I'd like to ask, what does Jesus think about suicide? What does God think about suicide? I could take us to a lot of places in the Bible, but I want to be very simple in the way we talk about this. And I want to suggest again that suicide, no matter why it happens, no matter why it is a temptation, is always a tragedy. When Peter was preaching early on, after Jesus had been di- Jesus had died, been buried, and resurrected, one of his very first sermons, Jesus was Peter rather was talking about Jesus to the people who crucified him, and he said, "This is Acts chapter three fifteen, that you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this." He calls Jesus the author of life, the creator of life. If you study evil in the Bible at a fairly deep level, the demonic, Satan, the enemy, all that goes into that, here's what you will find. That temptation does not come from God. And that temptation, more than not, especially any temptation rooted in the enemy, comes in the direction of death. In fact, the Bible will tell us for the wages of sin is death. So the enemy is often pushing towards harm and destruction and death. There's story after story of people possessed by demons. You can debate with me all day long whether that's real or whether that happens. But there are stories of people possessed with demons who were either trying to harm themselves or trying to harm others. What you don't see is someone... (laughs) Full of the Holy Spirit. Let me say it this way. When temptation comes in the direction of death, that's not from God because Jesus is the author of life. At some level, I would say, of course, I'm a preacher, I'm a Christian. You would expect me to say this. Jesus is a healer. Jesus loves you. Jesus is the author of life. Jesus wants you to live. I will say all of those things. I'll tell you what Jesus isn't. He's not a fix-it guy. He's not a fixer. I don't just come to Jesus to fix some stuff, and then I go back to my life. In fact, there are many things that we come to Jesus to, to fix, and in essence, He's doing a process over, a, over our lifetimes of making us whole, but that's very different than just fixing stuff. What I will say is I find that in every story in the Bible, when Jesus interacts with a broken human being, and we are all that, that Jesus brings compassion, grace, truth, love, and his presence. So I want to take you to one more verse, actually, too. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. And I really hope, verse 8 and 9, I really hope you'll listen to these words. Paul, who wrote about half of the New Testament. Paul, who had opposed Christianity, opposed the resurrected Jesus, had a personal experience with Jesus Christ, has his life turned upside down or right side up, depending on how you want to say it, put his life in order. Jesus had this, uh, Paul had this to say about his own life after knowing Jesus Christ. He said, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We can, we can get into what those were, but it doesn't really matter. They were significant. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. This phrase means beyond our capability and beyond our capacity to endure. Whatever those troubles were, He is saying, I've reached the end of what I can do. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Despair there means, uh, it's actually a word I read earlier when we were discussing Elijah, but despair means to lose one's emotional or mental composure. So that we despaired of life itself. You could translate this to fall apart. 
Indeed, he says, verse 9, we had received the sentence of death. The language he uses here is very specific. It is the language used when a verdict is made in a legal case. He is saying that he was certain that the verdict was death that he was facing. He despaired of life itself. And then he says, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but that we might rely on God who raises the dead. And I want to suggest for you that before that there is this looking at his life part, and he says the sentence seemed to be death. And, And I want to be abundantly clear. I don't believe that Paul is saying here that he was suicidal. I do believe he was saying that he felt death was going to be the natural outcome. He was either going to be murdered for his faith, or he was going to die because of illness, depending on what you think the troubles were that he was facing. But I find in this simple couple of verses some clarity we really need. Paul was saying he was as good as dead, And that he in and of himself could not bring himself back to a posture of living. Suicide is most tempting when the troubles we face outweigh the good we had hoped for. Suicide is most tempting when the pressures of life outweigh our capacity to endure them. When the despair outweighs any reason we can find to live. When the pain outweighs the strength that is so fleeting. And when the consequences outweigh our ability to face them. Here's what I'm really trying to get at. On one side... Paul says that he was despairing of life itself, that that he had lost hope of living. And on the other side, he says this happened that we might not rely on ourselves. And that phrase I want to come back to. But on God who raises the dead. And Christian people have a faith in a God who raises the dead, right? He is saying that he, he, he was as good as dead and that it was the God who raises the dead who brought him back to life. But in this little phrase, he said, this happened that we might not rely upon ourselves. And whether a person believes in God or not, I want to hone in on that phrase. In fact, here's the one thing I want to say to you about this. That it's healthy, whether Christian or unchristian, that it's healthy to be honest enough to admit to myself that I need to reach for help beyond myself. It's healthy To be honest enough, and this isn't in there, but honest enough with myself to admit to myself that I need to reach for help beyond myself. And I partly say that to say, if someone you know ever reaches for help, you must understand that it took significant courage To say, help me. It's healthy to be honest enough with myself to admit to myself that I need to reach for help beyond myself. And if you're in a place today where you're wrestling with mental health or you're wrestling with thoughts of depression or suicide or anything of this nature, I sort of break this down in in three aspects. There's a perspective involved here that I am honest enough with myself. That there's some self-honesty that needs to happen. Because 
Look at the number of people who live with addiction but live in escape mode. And there's often not an honesty going on with ourselves. In fact, and don't think Christians are immune to this. We Christians are very good at living in denial. Very good at living in escape mode. So there's this honesty with myself that needs to happen. There's a decision involved, the second aspect, to admit to myself. Because often I can't admit to myself that I'm really, as Paul said, incapacitated beyond my ability to endure. And the precursor to admitting to anybody else that I need something is to admit it to myself. And we're our own worst enemy in this sense. Because there's pride always screaming in our life. Going, but you've got this. But you're fine. There's three aspects. There's a perspective. I'm honest with myself. A decision. I need to admit something to myself. And it's helpful if I admit it to other people. That's what I'm getting at here. And three, an action to reach for help beyond myself. To reach for help beyond myself. Paul says that he reached for, to God for help. And I want to be abundantly clear about something. I, of course, believe you can always reach out to Jesus for help. Always. But I also want to be clear that it's not enough for Christian people to say to a person who's hurting, you know what? You just need to ask God for help and then walk away. That is not enough. That it's, that it's not enough to say, I will pray for you. And then walk away. Because if a person says that I'm considering ending my own life. What they're saying to you is that it took a whole lot of courage to come to the place where I could be honest with myself, where I could admit to myself so that I could reach for help beyond myself. And frankly, what I'm saying is I've lost my own ability to advocate for my own life. And I need someone to do several things for me. Again, I want to be clear. There are those in the Christian community who want us to avoid help from any actual person. That to be a spiritual answer, the answer has to be Jesus and not another human being. And there are those in the world of cults and the world of some fringe, I'm going to call it fringe Christian circles, who would say to go to a doctor ever is unspiritual. Because your source of help is Jesus Christ. So I'm an asthmatic, right? Right? I've never hidden that. If I were to say, you know what, pharmacists are full of bunk. And doctors are whatever. And the answer has to be Jesus Christ or no other answer. Spiritually speaking, I'm saying that that is so wrong at a lot of levels. You know what Jesus gave us? Each other. You know what else Jesus gave us? Talents and gifts. And the ability to help each other through. In fact, when someone says that it needs to be Jesus and no other human being, we're ignoring the one another's of the New Testament. Love one another and serve one another and encourage one another. Craig and I were just talking this morning about uh, Craig's an engineer and I'm a pastor and I, I'm, I'm in the service industry, right? I, I serve people with my life. But we were talking about so is he that whatever you do skill-wise for a living, you can see it as serving others. And when the Bible tells us to serve one another in love, this is part of what he's getting at. We need each other. 
And so whether a person is a believer in Jesus or not, when they say that I need help or that I don't know what to do, I'm begging you to take it seriously. And here's the challenge. You and I, we get really afraid in this case because we don't know what to what to do and what to say. And I know time's fleeting, but we get you got time to hang in here on this? You're big people, right? If someone is suicidal or if this is you, I come right back to there is always someone available to listen 24-7-988. Right? Locally that number is 541-687-4000. That is the White Bird Clinic. Someone is available at that line locally. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, any given day of the year. But if someone reaches out to you personally, here's what I think they're saying. They're saying, I need someone who cares. They're saying, I need someone who listens. And they're saying, I need someone who will advocate for my broken but beautiful life. And I want to walk back through those and be very practical as we talk about them. Number one, if someone is suicidal, if this is you today, you need someone who cares. Because everything in life, when we're, when we're down, when we're depressed, when we feel isolated, when we feel alone, everything and screaming inside of us or the, the little dudes or dudettes on the shoulder scream, no one cares. I promise you there are people who care. And if someone comes to you and you personally don't know what to do and you can't get a hold of me or you can't get a hold of the church because, you know, we're not literally here at the building 24-7. I mean, you all joke that I take, right? I only work one day a week, right? But but we're not, you can, eight, two in the morning, you can walk into any emergency room in the country and help is there, right there, right now. And I would never say send someone to the emergency room. I would say walk with them, drive with them, go with them. They need, the most important thing they need is to know that somebody cares and somebody listens. One, they need someone who cares. You need someone who cares. Two, you need someone who listens. Help me with this one. When someone shares something like this with us and we feel so uncomfortable because we're not trained, You say, well, Brian, you're trained, or you know, counselors are trained, or doctors are trained, or social workers are trained. I don't know what to say. In a sense, I'm going to tell you to say as little as possible. I don't mean don't say anything literally, don't ignore them. But what you say is not really the issue. And since I'm, I'm at it, there, there's, there's you know, probably one more I should add. You can also call 911. And help will come to you. Often, when a person is hurting so badly that all they know to do is think about escaping the pain... Largely what they need is someone who listens. And you're saying, but I don't have training and I don't have tools and I don't, I don't know about safety plans and I, I don't know about healthy coping mechanisms. And that's long, that, that, that's midterm stuff. That's, that's long-term stuff. Yes, there are therapists trained for that. Yes, there are doctors trained for that. Yes, there are people trained for, for that ongoing work. But we, but we have to get them through part A to get to part B to get to part and the most important thing we can do in that moment is listen. I had a friend who was in a place where they were considering ending their own life. And I, I sat with them in a, in a hospital room for hours. And there was a lot of silence. But there was mainly just listening going on. And, and that friend is still alive um, today but they at one point in the journey said to me 
You know, it felt like nobody else listened to me that day, but you did, and I will always be grateful for that. The most powerful thing we can do is listen to their brokenness and listen to their pain. What do we not say? What do we not do? Don't say, I know how you feel. Don't say, let me tell you a story about me. This is not about you. Don't say, get over it. Don't say, you know what? There was just a horrible tornado that went through Oklahoma and it ravaged some college campus. My college's campus. But don't don't say there's this horrible tornado that ravaged a college campus. There are people in the world that have bigger problems than you. Don't say, you know what, in Haiti, there are people who are starving. Like, you don't really have those kinds of problems. Even if those things are true, it's not helpful. At least not in that precise moment where we're in between life is overwhelming and I feel the sentence of death and I'm not sure where to turn yet. And I'm admitting that I need help. Don't ignore warning signs. Don't keep it a secret. Don't say, hey, it's not that bad. Don't say, if you do this, you'll go to hell. The best thing we can do is listen and listen some more. We can ask, how can I help you? We can ask specifically, do you have thoughts about not being here anymore? We're always afraid to ask the question about suicide. You know, are you considering suicide? We're afraid to ask the question because we don't want to plant the idea in somebody's mind, right? Here's the thing. I promise you, you're not planting an idea. Study after study will show that helping someone verbalize what's already there is beneficial to them. There is nothing about us asking if someone is suicidal that forces a person into suicide or makes suicide rates go up. But there are plenty of things to suggest that listening and asking questions is beneficial and helpful. We're afraid to ask because we're afraid we don't have the answers and we're afraid it will plant the idea in their minds. I would certainly suggest help a person get help beyond you. That there are proper people that can be very helpful along the way. Again, this can be an emergency room. This can be 911. This can be sitting with someone on the phone with 988. This can be when children or teenagers are involved, parents. There, 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 there's a point where, where it is helpful to bring the family in on the equation. Even if they're not teenagers, brothers or sisters. Someone who cares about the person. It's good to tell the person you're concerned about them. And that you don't want them to die. It's good to say, I am here It is good to point them to further resources. And I'm going to be clear. Someone who will advocate for their broken but beautiful life. See, often where we end up is in the place where we've convinced ourselves that we're so broken that we're beyond help. That we're so broken that, that our life is beyond ever being beautiful. And those things scream inside our heads. And yes, Paul was saying that he learned to rely on Jesus who raises the dead, on God who raises the dead, and that in this sense, God was God had brought him back to life. Yes, it's saying that. But there can be real life human beings who do the very same thing. That you and I can be in the same, uh, I'm not going to call it a business, but you and I can be in the same sense of caregiving. 
where we can advocate for someone, when they can't advocate for themselves because life's too overwhelming and feels too broken, even too brutal. That we can be in the middle in between I felt the sentence of death and it helped me rely on God who raises the dead. Let me say it one more time. It's not enough for Christians to just give the Sunday school answer. And say, oh, you, you know, you, you, you'd be all right. Because what someone needs is someone who will personally listen. Who will personally care. Who will personally advocate for getting back to life. The coping skills, the coping mechanisms, the things that help a person begin to see beauty again in life. Right? The, 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 there are all kinds of things that can help in that regard. But sometimes we need someone to carry us through to get to that place. And yes, please engage therapists and counselors. Yes, please reach out to help with a, with a doctor or a nurse or a, or a, some, a 988. Please. I had a pastor friend a lot of years ago who struggled greatly with depression. And he was convinced that it had to be a spiritual answer. And so he would not take meds. He, he would talk to a counselor, but he would not do things that were humanly oriented. Because the answer had to be relying on Jesus and only Jesus. I just think that's a misunderstanding. Do I believe the gospel? Absolutely. I shared a couple of weeks ago in a video sermon that I did about the resurrection. That Frederick Beekner said one of my favorite uh, quotes that's sort of new to me. He said that resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. The, the worst thing is never the last thing because yes, God has an answer. And I'm simply suggesting to you and I that sometimes God's answer is you and I. We have a crisis in America of faith. We have a crisis of isolation. We have a crisis of identity. We have a crisis of loneliness. We have a crisis of overwhelming change. And in the midst of all of that, sometimes what we need is just each other to carry us between, I felt the sentence of death. And this happens so that I might rely on God who raises the dead. I'm not saying you and I get to raise the dead. But I'm saying sometimes we play a role in between. And that would be more Jesus-like and more loving and compassionate and gracious than anything else we could do. I want to end our service with two prayers, but before I do, I want to mention, and I appreciate your patience. Same throws for the people out there going, what is he doing? <laughs> After the service, if you need to talk to someone, I'll be here. Others will be here. We'll be down front. We would be glad to listen. That doesn't, if you come, that doesn't mean you're suicidal. If you're come, this might have triggered something in you. There might be some family member you're concerned about. There's a number, you may be just wrestling with your own health physically or otherwise. But if there's something we can pray for you about, we'd want to do that today. This is another reason I wanted to be honest with you about this trip I'm taking. The timing is sort of not good in this particular regard because you're going to want to call your pastor this week and find out that he's unavailable. The church is not about me. None of this is about what Brian can do. It's about what we can do together.
Can I pray with us and for us? If you need Jesus today, online even, maybe you'd consider praying this prayer of salvation with me. Dear Jesus, I'm broken. And I know I'm sinful. And I need help. And so I thank you that you died on the cross for my sins. And I thank you that you're alive today. And Jesus, I pray that you take over my life. Forgive me from the inside out. Fill me with your love. And make me more like you, Jesus, every day. I pray in your name. If that's you and you prayed with me like that just now, I love you. And this church loves you. And we'd love to celebrate that that's something that's going on inside of you. But I can't celebrate what I don't know about. So let me know on a communication card. Let me know in person. Let me know somewhere or another. Let, let someone know. A lot of us prayed a prayer like that a lot of years ago. If you need this applied, what we've talked about today, applied to your life, would you pray this prayer of application with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for being the author of life and the restorer of life. Help me when my emotions struggle. Help me to be honest with myself. Help me to reach for help beyond myself. Lord, together we pray for anyone struggling with living. Lord, give them the strength to reach out. Give us the love to listen. As we interact with anyone struggling with anxiety... Or with depression. Or anything else for that matter. Like you Jesus help us to listen. Fill us with compassion. Help us to love. And help us to advocate for broken. But beautiful lives. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen you guys are good. I love you so much. Again, I'm going to dismiss this shortly, but if you need something, I'll be down here at the front. Somebody else will be here as well. There'll be male and female. If you need someone to talk to, we would love to talk to you. Thank you for giving me that extra grace today. I think it's important that we do so on a topic like this. Um, this was not one I felt I could do from video. I think you'd understand why. As we leave today, I just remind you we'd love